Super Talk Mississippi media production. Did you know Toyota Brookhaven has sold more new vehicles the last two years than any other dealership in southwest Mississippi? Come see why. Exit 40 Brookhaven or online at toyotabrookhaven.com. Great service, great savings. At Toyota Brookhaven, we deliver. What is up on a Monday? I am Brian Scott Rippey. My co-conspirator, as always, is Colin Brister. We appreciate you hanging out with us on this Monday, I guess, midday edition of the Rebel Report. Um, we're once again late recording. I got back fairly late from Baton Rouge. I had to do some school stuff this morning, and then I decided to sleep for a couple hours, so I didn't sound more like an idiot on this thing. But we've got a lot to get to. That was one of the that was the craziest sporting event I've ever covered. It was the craziest baseball game. Oh, come game. on. You I, covered 4th and 25, right? No, no. Actually, I was off. that. So I was helping out on football at that point, but I didn't have a game that weekend. Oh, that's right. I was... I was just there. I don't know who covered that. Yeah, and then, like, but I, I still think in a lot of ways, I know 4th and 25 was nuts, but the way that, we'll get into it, but that you, there's an argument. Maybe not the stakes, but the sheer, like, happenings. But 4th <laughs> so, and 25 was like uh, if Marquise, or yesterday the 4th and 25 was like if Marquise Haynes makes the tackle instead of grabbing the face mask. Or how about maybe makes the tackle, like, or makes a tackle, forces a fumble, and some like offensive lineman takes it thirty-five yards. I mean, <laughs> yesterday doesn't happen, and we'll 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 get into all of that today. So obviously, a lot to get to. Um, maybe some NBA playoffs, some other stuff. I didn't get to watch a whole lot of stuff I this didn't weekend. Watch any of it at I was all, man. I was consumed mostly by the ballpark. I caught some playoffs, um, but yeah. So we'll get into all that. So I guess really just getting started. Uh, yeah, I, I don't even know where to start. I don't know what the hell happened. I mean, I, I just I, I so obviously Ole Miss goes to LSU and wins two out of three. They back in the series after a fairly sloppy Friday night. Um, Friday was a game where I didn't think they played bad for like six innings, seven innings of the game, and then it just completely came unglued late, and they missed a lot of opportunities. Will Etheridge was okay, um, and then of course you had the the eighth. Excuse me, eight inning theatrics where you had the bat flip that apparently got people upset. Um, so what? Ole Miss was down four to three. They'd given up an unearned run. Kevin Graham had a brain fart. There was a lot to unpack in that game. Yeah, they just didn't play well. I didn't think Hilliard was a really good matchup for them, but I thought Ole Miss kind of hit. You know, it was pretty good. It played against him, and you know, Hess comes in and, and gets out of a uh, first and third situation, only gives up one run, and that was kind of that. I mean, Hess was really, really dominant when he. And, and you know it's kind of lost the baseball game. I didn't necessarily think Ole Miss played bad as well, um, but you know sometimes you're gonna. I mean, Ole Miss was not going to sweep in, in Alex Box, so sometimes you're just gonna get beat. Yeah, I would agree with that. And they had some. They had a couple early opportunities off Hilliard in the first and second innings, and didn't really cash in. They got one run in the second inning when they had first and second no outs, um, and only got one run out of it. And then Hilliard proceeded to retire nine in a row. And then, as to your point, it was a very weird situation because Zach Hess, who had been their Friday night guy for the better part of the last two seasons, gets like, I mean, I don't know if we call it demoted, but he gets, I mean, it's kind of, a, I mean, it is a demotion, but he gets demoted to the bullpen where they think that kind of fits him better. He comes in and shoves what he had four scoreless innings. I don't think yeah. Ole Miss scored a run off him. Uh, so, and then Ole Miss gives up an under. Kevin Graham had a, uh, Kevin Graham did something I've never seen in baseball before. Yeah, tough. So he fielded a ball. You've probably seen it by now if you're listening to this podcast. But he fields the ball right by the bag. Um, instead of throwing it to the bag, he throws it to Will Etheridge, who is 
pretending to cover the back, but he sees Kevin Graham is so close, there's no reason for him to continue running. Um, and like when the, if you look at the replay, when Kevin like when Kevin Graham threw the ball to Will Etheridge, Will Etheridge's face looked like he smelled a smell, and he didn't know what to exactly think of that smell, and then immediately threw the ball back to him like it was a hot potato, and the play was safe. They didn't end up scoring on that, but Graham booted a ball the next inning, I think, or two innings later. They gave LSU a 4-2 lead at the time. Cooper Johnson hits one a mile to make it 4-3. Um, and then Ole Miss just kind of comes unraveled in the eighth. LSU goes back-to-back. Drew Bianco clanged one off the foul pole. Uh, <laughs> pimped the Ole living – exploded. Yeah, he pimped the living shit out of it too. People got mad about that. I thought it was awesome. I thought it was I hilarious. I would the bat into the Ole Miss dugout. Yeah, because, I mean, that's a no-doubter. I mean, so the, boy, the Austin Miller was in at that point. Yeah. And – it was well, it was a no doubter, but it almost went foul. Yeah, it almost went foul, but like no doubter in the sense that, that ball was going four hundred oh, something yeah. feet. Yeah. And so yeah, um, apparently that got people upset. I don't really know why. I, I thought it was hilarious. I think baseball's more fun than people do. That. Well yeah, and then like the next the next day Ole Miss obviously in the game they win. Bianco gets hit with like a one oh breaking ball in the fifth. And like so a couple of like reporters up there facetiously put that Mike Bianco threw it threw at his own kid, and a shocking amount of people took that literally. A 1-0 breaking ball that like caught him in the hip, maybe, to load the bases. Yeah, that was definitely intended for his ear hole. Like, come on, use your brain. I don't understand that. So, but, but to their credit, so Ole Miss, res- Ole Miss responded from a fairly lethargic performance on Friday night and, and played pretty well on Saturday. Doug Nikhazy was awesome. He continues to kind of shine on the big stage. Um, he doesn't really let the moment kind of yeah. get the best of him, and he said it got close. He said that was the closest. City. He said he had to step off the mound a few times. He tries to block out as much as possible. I mean, Alex Box is Alex Box. He thought it was, he thought it was. He basically kind of embraced the idea that they were going to try to get inside of his kitchen and 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 really pitched well. I mean, he wasn't his great stuff, but he battled like it wasn't his best thing stuff wise. But he battled through, gave six and a third, I believe, and then that bridged the game to Miller and then Caracy. Uh, Ole Miss hit a couple long long balls. What in that game? Dillard and Graham, hung out, yeah. and Graham hit a three run bomb. Correct. So Graham hit a t- pair of huge. Kevin Graham, for all his defensive woes, hit a p- pair of huge three run home runs in this series. Uh, and Ole Miss really swung it well from from Friday on. I, I thought they were they were fairly good off Eric Walker on on Saturday. Uh, Walker was not very impressive. Tommy John has really I don't want to say ruined, but man, it has impacted him. I mean, he's throwing 86, 87. I mean, that was he was going to get lit up. Yeah, that um, was kind of my lasting memory. Is kind of what I was talking about. Is like you see his fastball come in and like it's eighty six, and you're like, that's a Saturday night guy in the SEC. Mike, it is another time. How the hell's LSU not got anybody better than that? Well, I mean, it's LSU. I mean, I think they do. I think Cole. I mean, to me. And I, I guess, I mean, I guess it wasn't part of the plan. But like, if I'm Maneri, I'm going when Cole Henry's back. Henry Hilliard, Marceau. Yeah, I thought it, it, I'll get to Ole Miss. I thought Marceau was fine. I thought Ole Miss just kind of they made some errors behind him. Um, but yeah, I thought Ole Miss kind of just. I think Saturday was one of their more complete games of the year. Look, you probably want to score five, more than five runs, but I thought Ole Miss really hit the ball hard on on Saturday. That kind of went at people. And there's not a lot of, like a, there's a lot of atom balls. There's not a ton you can do, but you know you wind up winning the game. The Casey was really good. I mean, he, he's probably the most composed pitcher I've seen in Ole Miss in a long time, which is wild for a freshman. And uh, you know, you just win a game and, and set up Sunday's rubber match. 
Yeah, Nick Casey was talking after the game about how he, he once he kind of struggled, he lost his breaking ball there through the middle innings. And he told me in the dugout, or not, I say told me, told the pool of reporters that he did a self-assessment and decided that he wasn't emptying the tank and then just proceeded to go out there and empty the tank. And I've never done a self-assessment, but I should probably start with some of the things going on in my life. Yeah, well, it, it worked for Doug Nikhazy. I was going to say, it worked for him. <laughs> yeah, so I might start self-assessing myself he more. He might be the most fun kid on this Ole Miss team, or, or a lot of Ole Miss teams. Oh, I'll get to it in a second, but after the Sunday win, he was, we didn't talk to him, but he was like walking off and he had a, yeah, he's a funny dude. Uh, <laughs> like, smart kid, level-headed, like, knows he's a very good college pitcher, and, and really kind of just, like, he doesn't have overwhelming stuff. He knows what he is, and he just kind of thinks his way through a game. Like, it's so cliche to say that anyone that doesn't throw, you know, 94, 95 is Greg Maddox. But there is a little bit of a quality there. We talk about throwing four pitches for strikes and pitching to contact sometimes. But he has more of an ability to pitch for swing and miss stuff than, like, a like a true Maddox type. He's the perfect guy you want on Saturday because whatever happened on Friday night, he's not going to be too high or too low. Yeah, and even when you get into a game, he's just gonna like. Even if you get into like a super game or a regional game, you have to win. Like he's not gonna like he's gonna be too unconscious to like fully process the moment, whether for better or for worse. But it'll probably end up helping him. Yeah, yeah, and so you know it sets up Sunday, and uh, I don't know where you want to start with Sunday. I mean, I guess we'll fun. start like from like what it meant going in, because like I was I spent a decent amount of time like thinking going into the ballpark. Like this was like a very, very, very huge swing day for both oh, yeah. clubs, and because for Ole Miss now you're talking about how at 18 and 12 you're probably okay from a host standpoint, but it's not. It's far from a guarantee because of what they've done in the non-conference, and so you're looking at Ole Miss now, and if they somehow steal two out of three down in Baton Rouge, all you have to do is win three or four in the last two. If you lose, you're talking about possibly having to win five of the last six, which that's not going to happen. And depending on how you lose, which will obviously kind of flesh itself out a little bit, it could be a backbreaker. And then for LSU, it's kind of the same way. Now they have to go to Arkansas next weekend, and they're fourteen and ten, and like they're a club that's kind of limping around a bit. Yeah, and uh, you know, Ole Miss gets the. And I thought this was key. Ole Miss needed Gunnar Hawk. They didn't need him to be great. They didn't, they didn't need him to be good. They just needed to be okay. And and he gives them four point two and and. I don't think he gives up the runs he does if Ole Miss doesn't build the early cushion. There was a lot of just throw it over the plate and let, it, let them hit it. Um, and, you know, they, they kind of did. But I thought Hogland got them off to the start that they needed to get off. Gunner was fine. He get what he goes four and a third. To your point, he probably could have gone longer. It's difficult to pitch through some of those long innings because what skyrocketed to 10-1 at one point. Yeah. And so, like, it's difficult to pitch, but I thought he was fine. He he was very fortunate to get out of the first inning. They were hitting balls all over yeah. the place foul. Once he got out of that, he had some fortunate hard contact at people, but he pitched well enough. He was fine. Like, if they can yeah. get that out of him four, five, six more times, however, you know, well, you get my point. They'll be okay. And yeah, I, the problem with that is that the game went completely off the rails after that. <laughs> Just completely and totally, like... I, I've never seen anything like that. So, I mean, I guess we'll start there. Ole Miss kind of pounces on Landon Marceau, LSU starter. They get up 4 nothing early. Josh Smith booted a ground ball early in the game that I thought would have changed the game. So, what, Ole Miss was up one to nothing at the time, or was that they, – they There was nobody out, but it was going to be a runner on third and two out. And instead it was bases loaded, nobody out, if I remember correctly. No, I think – I'm I, I, 
I could be wrong because the ball squirted so far into left. I believe a run came to score then, and that would have been an ending-ending double play. There was one down. Okay, maybe, maybe so. So, but I think it was. I'm about to pull up the stat broadcast because there was so much going on in this game. I can't. Can't figure out, but by, like I think it was 1-0 Ole Miss, and LSU was going to get off the field with like not much damage. Obviously, the Kevin Graham. I thought Ke- Cooper went first to third on the. Uh, I think it was 1-0. I think it was 1-0, but I it was 1-0, know. and there was runners at the corners, is what it was, because Cooper did go first to third. Or no, I don't. There was know. a runner at first. We're about to anyway. This is bad podcasting, bad radio, but we'll find out in a second. Point being, there was a very significant error. LSU would have gotten out of the inning with no more damage done, essentially, and instead, Ole Miss capitalized to their credit. Gray Kessinger hits a gapper that plates two more, and all of a sudden, Ole Miss is up four nothing, really rolling. Like because at that point, like I didn't think four runs was enough to win a game, but I thought if Ole Miss got up four nothing, they could kind of hold on for deal life with the bullpen and maybe tack on. Like at that point, I'm thinking if they get to six runs, I think they're okay. And man, that was that couldn't have been further from the truth. <laughs> You think if I'd have offered uh, Mike Bianco 14 runs yesterday before the game, he'd have took it? Probably, and then he would have gone home with a loss. But <laughs> so, Ole Miss then, uh, Gunnar Hoagland gets a shutdown inning after that, which I thought was like a real turning point in the game because Ole Miss goes up four nothing, and then like, and then Gunnar Hoagland gets him back in the dugout fairly quickly. I think maybe in like a seven pitch inning, something like that, and like. You're sitting there thinking, okay, the momentum in this game is starting to turn, and then it wasn't. So uh, I'm making sure I had the second inning right. So Olenek led off the inning with a ground out. Zabowski doubled. Johnson singled. And, singled a man, yeah. And Zabowski scored. So it's one to nothing. And then Kevin Graham hits into what – it was only a runner on first. What would have been ending inning 6-4-3. The guy boots it. Jacob Adams had the bunt single, and then Kessinger had the double. So it's 4 nothing. Then Ole Miss gets off the field fairly quickly. I, I literally think Hoagland had required like seven pitches in the bottom of that second inning. Ole Miss tacks on three more in the third to where it's seven nothing, and you're thinking, okay, they're about to win this game in a route. LSU gets one back in the fourth. Ole Miss answers with the Kevin Graham three-run bomb in the fifth. So it's ten to one at this point, and yeah. you're thinking they're just going to get to the finish line. And so at that point, not to be like the hindsight 2020, I told you so guy, but I didn't think that game was going to end ten to one. Or anywhere close to it, I was like, "Look, LSU is going to have a three or four run inning if you can just com- hold that off from complete abject disaster. Like if that can stay ten five instead of ten eight or something like that, then Ole Miss would have been okay." And man, it went off the rails quickly well, after that. They did. They did. it was fifteen to nine in the in the ninth inning. Like yeah, they but they they that, I wouldn't agree. I, I agree with that, but they let LSU back in it because LSU immediately answers with three in the fifth. It goes 10-3. They trade one for two in the sixth, so it's 11-4, two for three in the seventh to where it's, what, 13-6. That's still seven runs. I know. And then, yeah. LSU put up three, but Ole Miss puts up – that's what gets forgotten. Ole Miss put up three at the top of the ninth to make it 16-9 because it was 13-9. And you're just thinking, okay, Parker's going to get three outs. And he retires the first two guys. Yeah. I mean – I mean, it was a lot of back and forth, but frankly, it just the ninth inning is the story. Yeah, so it's thirteen to nine. Ole Miss plates two. It's fifteen to nine, and Caracy had come in, so the game had turned into a slugfest. I mean, yeah. like I said, LSU had scored three in the fifth, uh, two in the sixth, three in the seventh. 
So it's it's what thirteen to nine at that point, and like it's kind of getting hairy, and that's what I kind of meant by letting LSU back in. They call on Crazy to get the last six outs, kind of restore order to this slugfest. Crazy gets the first three outs fairly, like he stranded a he stranded like a leadoff double and a walk or something with the four six three to get out of the eighth. So you're thinking he's not really laboring. Then he gets the first two guys out in the ninth, and I'm literally like packing up my stuff to walk down to the field to try to beat all these people to try to get to the field. And just complete another madness ensued. It's fifteen to nine, bottom of the ninth inning, two outs, nobody on base. I've right. never seen anything like that happen in my entire what's life. The, what's the play by play before the three home runs? Was it just three singles? Yeah, but one of them was a little nub shot. Yeah, yeah. And and, and so what happened was is they he allows a single through the left side to Saul Garza. Broussard yeah. singles after that, so it's first what? and second. Wild pitch, which was a wild wild pitch. Um, then you had the Zach Watson kind of cap shot that squirted in between Caracy and Kessinger. That made it 15-10, to 10, and you're sitting there thinking, all right, this is getting a little hairy. Duplantis hits a three-run bomb, and as crazy as this sounds, I was like, that's actually not that bad because it's 15-13, to 13, but it cleared the bases. So you're not yeah. like, you're not like when, a, when you're trying to rally like that, you need double after double, base hit after base hit to keep guys on the base pass. So Duplantis hits an absolute bomb on a 1-1 fastball, and... It's 15 to 13, and I was like, oh, man, this got weird. Like, they're going to get out of this by the skin of their teeth. Then, for four pitches later, it's a tied game. I mean, Beloso hit a 1-0 fastball, and then Josh Smith cranked 1-2. And I've never seen a stadium. Like, there's a, it wasn't completely full at that point, but I have never seen a game get away from, like, any team that fast. I mean, like, people were mad. Like, I, like, I kept getting tweets from people mad at Mike. For what letting Caracy die out there, but what are you supposed to do? Like <coughs> seven pitches ago, it was fifteen to ten. You're going to take him out then? It was fifteen to nine with nobody on base. <laughs> I mean, he was asking for a six-out save, and the guy got five outs without letting a run across. <laughs> Is he supposed to just have somebody randomly loose? Like I, I don't know. That's the um, point. So Austin, he, Austin Miller rushes to get loose. Austin Miller pitched in the Friday night and the Saturday night game. But to your point, the game unraveled so quickly. It's like you couldn't have had someone ready. Like, like getting someone up at that point when it's fifteen to ten doesn't make sense. And like maybe yeah. you start loosening them up when Duplantis hits the home run. But that's still only two batters later when the game's tied. Well, like, it was four pitches later. Because <laughs> he throws the two o fastball that goes out of the park. He throws a one o fastball that goes out of the park. I mean, it just—I don't know what you're doing. It just unravels on Ole Miss, and you're look up, and it's fifteen to fifteen, and I—I I, I don't know how they recovered from that. I've never seen anything like that in the stadium. So the, the stadium was like. The stadium was not completely full at that point. Some people had left. I would say there's probably seven or eight thousand left at that point. But you want to talk about a place that completely collectively came unglued, because Deplantis hits it, and you're like, okay, like if they get a runner on, then they might have a chance, like a bloop and a blast type deal. Beloso hits it, it's 15-14, and now everyone is losing their mind. And two pitches into Watson, Watson just de- demolishes one. Smith. Smith. Excuse me, Smith, and. It, I, I don't know. I was just in shock because that place is losing their mind. At the same time, there's an eeriness about like the environment in there because some be, like I, everyone in there is still surprised at what just happened because it happened so fast. It's not like they kept putting men on base and kept getting hits. It was just three straight fly balls to right field that landed on whatever highway that is behind Alex Box. Duplantis landed at Tiger Stadium, and it was just it was and then, like that. It's like okay, now they're and then. 
Austin Miller comes in, like Caracy's walking out, the place is going nuts, and then the the kid behind him, Dugas, like he like he did, we didn't get him close to getting out, but he hits a fourth consecutive fly ball to right field, and you're like, holy crap, this is gonna happen again. Of course, it was you know just kind of a can of corn, but off the bat, you're thinking, oh my god, this is over. <laughs> and then Ole Miss scores four in the top of the tenth because sure. Yeah, so I knock Mike Bianco all you want, like for, you know, managerial, whatever you want. But he gathered them in there after it was 15 to 15, and he kind of gathered them all around him and was like, look, this wasn't going to be easy. This is how we're going to win the game. And he was like, do you believe you can score a run? Do you believe you can stop them? Like, I think him gathering in there and kind of collecting them and settling a pretty dejected group down that quickly is important. And I think that probably saved their season. I mean, like, it's, I don't want to be, like, too melodramatic about this, but I don't think you are. I just don't, th- I just don't know if Ole Miss loses that game. From a psyche standpoint, how you recover from that? Like, forget the immediate repercussions where you leave fourteen and ten and needing to somehow get to eighteen or nineteen wins to host when you're playing state and then Tennessee on the road. Forget all of that. Just to complete, you're mentally fried at that point. I just, I, I don't like. If you lose that game, I don't know how you come back from that. And yeah, I mean, Mike, Mike deserves a ton of credit for that because those kids could have just laid down and. You know, what was us and, and that type of thing. And, and Cooper Johnson has a really good at bat. Um, they get a little lucky with Kevin Graham's flop ball. It was really a can of corn, but Zach Watson was shaded so far to right field that it, that it falls. And Josh Hall has the at bat of the season. Yeah, and so, like, I hesitated to write this, but, like, in the back of your mind, subconsciously, if you're that team and you've gone through what they've gone through the last. 12 to 18 months. I mean, how much of when that happens, it's 15-15, are you thinking, like, what happened last June? I mean, it's probably not directly on your mind, but you know what I mean. Like the, It's like God hates us, man. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly, like, the mindset I would. I think I would have had as a player. I don't know necessarily, like, directly that, but to, my, to your point, it's just like, like, I don't know, how much mental scar, scar tissue can you absorb, I guess. That's what I was interested to see from the group. That's what I was interested to kind of see what happened. Because even if they had lost, like, like at that point, I'm thinking they're probably going to lose this in the bottom of the 10th. It's going to be fascinating to see kind of what the reaction and what, like, who talks and what, who says what after the game. Because it's just, it's a cat. Like Mike Bianco said devastating. It would have been a catastrophic loss. Yeah. I mean, you don't just bounce back from that if you lose that game. And, uh, you know, look, it, it helped that LSU was, like, frankly, out of pitching. Like, uh, you know, Fontenot was was on fumes at that point. Zach Cass went and warmed himself up. Yeah, I don't think he was told to. I think he just went down there. No, that's what I meant. Uh, he warmed himself up. <laughs> he uh, and So Zach Cass, when it was tied 15-15, ran down to the bullpen and started warming up himself. Once Maneri looked down to the bullpen and was like, who's that warming up? It was like, like sit down. Like, you can't do that. <laughs> you threw 173 pitches 24 hours ago uh, but <laughs> and then you know, I mean, it, it was it was it was one of the more impressive things I've ever seen from an Ole Miss baseball team. Honestly, to to fall down like that and to put up four runs and and just have good at bad after good at bad after good at bad. And you know what? It, it, it wound up not mattering. But I thought, uh, you know, Ole Miss was the aggressor to me this weekend, and a play that kind of resembles or uh, you know embodies that is, is sending Anthony Servideo home on the double play from Keenan and. And not being scared to, you know, fall into a triple play, and and they go in and they steal another run, and, and they go into the bottom of the tenth up nineteen to fifteen. Yeah, and I, I, will, I mean, I'll admit I thought they were toast. I was like, they're going to lose this game. This is going to be a just a wild post game. 
Like I, I, I was, I was pretty much written them off. I didn't have anything written at that point because everything had just completely gone up in flames. Right. Um, but yeah, and so then, so Cooper Johnson leads off with a walk. Um, Kevin Graham hits a double. I mean, yeah, I'm, I don't necessarily disagree with Cannon Corn because the guy was shaded, but he hit that ball pretty well. Like, okay. for, immediate, you were there. I, it, immediately it off the bat, it was, is this guy going to catch it? And, like, he was shaded to the right, and if he shaded and playing a normal center field, it's probably caught, but you still have to make a running catch on that. Like, he, he hit that pretty good, I thought. And so okay. that's second and third. And Josh Hall, who I was so lost at the time, I missed the Servideo switch. So yeah. I thought he's sending Josh Hall up there to pinch hit. I missed the Servideo switch in the eighth. And so I'm th- sitting there thinking when he's standing there because LSU made a did LSU made a pitching change or a mound visit at that point. Mound visit that and didn't I, change. And I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking like, why is he pinch hitting Josh Hall? Because Hall would be in there to bunt, and like it wasn't well, a pinch. Hall had a bat. Yeah. And, and they took him out. Yeah, and so it wasn't it wasn't a pinch hit thing. Obviously, I had missed that. But then you're sitting there thinking, I was like, what is he doing with Hall? Because now there's no situation where he bunt. I was like, are they going to squeeze? <laughs> and so second and third. Paul gets a 2-1 fastball, puts it in the center field. And that's a kid that broke his finger the other day, or dislocated his finger. Dislocated Dr. Rip. Yeah, sorry. Chase tried to tell me it was a broken finger the other day. I was like, you don't have a medical doctor's degree. Like, you don't know. But, so, yeah, I mean, and and, then he had, what, he had 30 30 plate appearances, I believe, on the season, and five hits. And his six was probably the biggest of Ole Miss's season so far. He puts that ball to center field, and all of a sudden you're up 2-0. Then, uh, um, what, Kessinger hit a uh, – Servideo intentionally walked, and Kessinger base hit 18-15. You mentioned the double play where they get the fourth run. And even in the bottom half of the inning, they have Houston Roth out there. And, like, I uh, I mean, I, 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 did, I didn't think four – like, not that I didn't think four was enough, but, like, you're treating that like it's a one-run game at that point. Yeah, and, you know, that, that was – the top of the tenth is—is uh, is it one of the bigger innings? Just kind of from big picture, was that one of the bigger innings in Ole Miss's program? From, from I mean, obviously the Lafayette Regional and, and whatnot, but that's got to be one of the bigger innings in, in I guess Bianco's tenure, right? To me, it was Houston Roth, like a guy that's been way up and down this year. He's battled some injury stuff. He's battled some inconsistencies, and to go in there in that moment, and he he told like I asked him after the game, I was like, "There's no way you could have imagined you were pitching in that scenario." And he said, "Look, I I got sent down to the bullpen in the sixth. I was kind of trying to stay mentally locked in. I didn't know when or if I was going to pitch, but uh, he was like, "Yeah, I mean, I couldn't have really envisioned coming in in that scenario for him in that type of game to get the last three outs, keep them off the board was big. And now Roth in his last." Four of his last appearances, he's had a scoreless outing. and He's only given up a single run in his last, I believe, five and a third, maybe five and two-thirds innings. He's been good lately. And, like, it's going to get lost in all of this. But, like, Ole Miss is going to have to have – I mean, it showed this weekend. It showed a little bit last weekend. They're going to have to expand their bullpen depth. Like, I, I don't think the Myers – Miller Caracy thing is going to fly. Like they need a Max Chofi, they need a Houston Roth. You know, it's something to get lost in this. And look, if you just look at the box score, you'll say, "Oh, that kid didn't have a good day." I thought Taylor Broadway was good. He gives up. You know, he gets the uh, the inning-ending double play that Adams boots, and then gives up the homer. But he, he was ninety-two to ninety-five with a hammer. And and you know, him and Roth, I think they're going to try to get those guys some innings. And, and like you said, they have. There's just not. There's no choice. Yeah, I think Taylor Broadway's stuff is too good to sit over there on the bench and, and forget about. 
And, you know, Roth has done it too many times for you to stick him over there on the bench and forget about. So they've got to find arms. And I thought that Roth and I, like I said, the box score is not going to support this, but I thought Roth and Broadway were both kind of good on, on Sunday. Yeah, you could tell. So they almost got Broadway up. They got Broadway up Friday night. He didn't end up going in because the situation didn't really jive with it. But, yeah, no, I would agree. And, like, Roth was good. And, and to me, just having someone, like, because, like, let's be honest, Caracy's probably never giving up back-to-back-to-back home runs to blow a six-run lead again, I wouldn't think. But if you if, if things do just cataclysmically crater like they did in that ninth inning, and, again, that was, I'll say it again, that was literally, like, unlike anything I've ever seen, like, I mean, it was cool to witness, honestly, just because, like, I mean, when you enter a baseball game that wild, like, it's kind of like, like, out, like out of a 150-whatever baseball games over the next, like, year and a half or whatever, like, I'll remember that one. I'm not forgetting that one because, like, I've never seen a team come back like that. And point being, when, like, I'm going on a tangent here, but, like, point being, when something goes cataclysmically that bad, someone like Roth having the mental resolve to be able to kind of, like, like, piece it together, keep it glued together, and shut it down, it's probably going to bode fairly big for them down the stretch. Yeah, I don't disagree. You know, he was 90 to 93 there in the 10th inning, and, and his velocity's been the story, obviously. Get hurt, he lost about three to four miles an hour conservatively. And he was 90 to 93, and, and they need him uh, to, to produce. And if he's going to sit at that velocity, look, he's shown he can get out in this league. And, uh, you know, if he's going to sit 90 to 93, he's going to get a lot more out. Yeah, and so now, so Ole Miss leaves with a series win, um, and then, so after the game, we're at the post game, and Doug Nikhazy walks by, and like we weren't talking to him, obviously he didn't pitch in that game, but he just kind of walks by, walking by the foul line towards the dugout, and he's just like, winning is awesome, and like I kind of looked around, like he wasn't really talking to anybody, I think he was just trying to hype himself up a bit, but yeah, just drop. I was like, I'm going to lead with that in the story, just because that's what this game deserves. <laughs> winning is awesome. Yeah, winning is awesome, is what he said. So... <laughs> I mean, you've talked about, <coughs> oh, you've talked about um, like what would have happened if Ole Miss had, had a loss. But now they're fifteen and nine. They leave yep. Baton Rouge fifteen and nine. If I were them, I would have sprinted to the bus and gotten out of the state of Louisiana as quick as possible. But what if they had finals this morning? I hope not. Yeah, I, that would be tough because they bust there because they did the Hattiesburg oh. trip. There was no flight. They bust. So they're fifteen and nine. And now, like... 17 RPI. Oh, man. So is 18 enough? Yeah. Yeah, because your your RPI is not going to go down uh, with three. With wait, Don't lose the game at Jonesboro, for God's sakes. Um, so but, Richard Richard called me before we started this recording, and he was like, do they have to show up to that thing? Yes. <laughs> like, I mean, like... No, they, no, no. They, he yeah. means literally. Like, oh, he's no, like, can you get that no, thing squashed? No, just... Just send Arkansas State to check for $5,000 and cancel it. <laughs> yeah, that's what Richard was getting at. I don't know the rules on that. I think it's a forfeit if you don't show up. Like, if you just say, screw it, cancel the buses. We're... And if you make a nice contribution to the uh, Red Wolves Foundation, I'm sure they'll say it rains and you can just cancel it. Yeah, or I don't know. Maybe you could have a, a flood the field type of situation. I don't know. Who's to say? Um, <laughs> I don't play that game. Yeah, I mean they can't they can't, they can't go over there and lose, and that's what I, that's what's so fickle about the midweeks is they set up these at the end of the year, particularly if you've had a team that struggled in the midweek at times this year, and it's just like it's like why am I in this game? Like this is 
every bit as important as every this conference game I just played last week? Like, They're why am I in this situation? Mississippi State on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and they go to Jonesboro, Arkansas, and play a team that's got no prayer to make the postseason. All they want to do is ruin your season, and you got to beat them. Yeah, I mean they do. <laughs> and but like you know, look at the number eighteen. Look, they're seventeen RPI. You're playing number RPI uh, number three this weekend. You're playing RPI number ten the next weekend with three a three and three record. Uh, especially with three of those games being on the road, your RPI is going nowhere but up or staying the same. Yes, that would be enough. Now, look, you don't want to go to Hoover and lose on Tuesday at eighteen and twelve, but I think eighteen and twelve, you're starting to feel safer. And there's a chance, and I haven't looked at the math in front of me, but if you're eighteen and twelve, there's actually probably a chance you're not playing on Thursday, right? Well, Someone's got to have that fourth spot. Okay, I get what you're saying, but the fourth spot is between Ole Miss and State, and one would assume that if they're eighteen and twelve, that you lost the series to Mississippi State, or lost two or three in Knoxville. Well, okay, that's fair, but if you lose two or three in Knoxville, Mississippi State hosts South Carolina to end the year. Yeah, I mean, I, I I get what you're saying. I mean, it's definitely not likely. I just, it's it's certainly possible. But I get your point. 18 is probably enough, but 19 probably puts the exclamation yeah. point on it. Well, 19 to me, look, it, this is too far ahead of myself. And and 19, you start talking about getting a top eight seed because if you go four and two against Mississippi State, and Tennessee, with their RPIs being what they are, the, your RPI is going to skyrocket into you know number number 10 or 11. And at that point, you're no longer talking about hosting the regional, but that's getting beyond you know what's expected. Yeah, and one of the things that one other note I had written down from this game that I I, I meant to ask Mike after the game, but I just got lost in the, in kind of the <laughs> madness of what had just taken place. But like the offense for the last couple of weeks has produced on an elite level, and I think the level that they thought, and it seems to be coming a little bit more inconsistent. Like they weren't great on Friday, but they weren't bad. But, like, and I know this was the extreme, but, like, that's the type of offense you hope carries you through a slugfest on Sunday when neither pitcher goes through. Now, of course, you're not going to, like, they don't, like, 19-15 is the complete extreme of that. But you get my point. Like, they kept scoring runs and they kept kind of keeping pace with LSU through all of that. And, like, that, that, I thought that was a positive sign for him. And it came from suspects that are usual and unusual. I mean, Jacob Adams had four hits. Cole Zabowski yeah. and Cooper Johnson had four hits, too. But, like, they've been, they've carried the offense for a lot of this year. Jacob Ad- Adams hasn't. Kevin Graham was really good this weekend. I, I wonder, too, and, and this is kind of pleasant to what you're saying. They, to me, you know, they've, they've done all this lineup switching throughout the I think they found their lineup this weekend. Now, look, Graham's not going to play against left handed pitchers because he can't hit them. A little but I think they're just going to put Fitzsimmons in there against right hand or against lefties. And I'd say and, Fitz or LaPosta would be like either. Like I, I think you well, could do either you one. Gotta, you got to have somebody to play first base, and I don't. I don't know if LaPosta is able to do that. I mean, I I'm mean, not thinking he can. No, but they can play Zabowski. I mean, they, like I don't. I don't think Mike wants to at this point, but they can still play Zabowski at first base. Look, you forget somebody voted that guy to an All SEC defensive team last year. Yeah, they were wrong. Well, <laughs> still, like. Like, but okay. I guess what my point would be: Are you really getting that much more out of Laposter than than Fitzsimmons at first base? Like, I, I don't know if it's worth you know putting Zabowski at first base when you're getting relatively the same return. Decent point, but if Fitzsimmons doesn't hit, then you got to consider it. Yeah, well, I mean that's fair. Um, 
But you're not going to face that many lefties going in the regular season, at least. So I, what, I guess what I'm getting at is they kind of found their lineup this weekend. Kevin Graham is going to play. Is going to be the DH against right-handed pitching as he's been all year, and Jacob Adams is going to play every day at second base at this point. Yeah, I would agree. So no midweek game this week because of finals, and then Ole Miss plays State this weekend in a big series. We got plenty of time to get to that. Plus, we just did 35 minutes of college baseball. Um, <laughs> But I, that warranted it. Thousand people at that series this weekend. Yeah, that's going to be an absolute zoo. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> I didn't catch a much NBA playoffs this weekend, but I, I caught like the. I got out to the to a bar in Baton Rouge for the end of the Nuggets Blazers game on Friday night, which was absolutely bonkers. Yeah, that was that was wild. I thought Denver had them like at two points. We got to do something about replay. Uh, that that ball going to Portland at the uh, end of the third overtime, that, that's not what we have replay for. And, you know, it happened in the national title game. I, I don't know. Where it's like the finger that touched it last, yeah, even though the defender knocked it off. Yeah, it's against the spirit of the rule. It's just the letter. Yeah, I mean, it's like when uh, you review it in MLB baseball and, and somebody pops off the back for half a second. It's not what we have replay. And I don't know how you fix that, but, man, something's got to give there. Replays ruined like the the big the big internet take this weekend was that replays ruined sports like you had the what the I, I'm not a horse racing guy I I I I I'm not going to pretend to be a horse racing guy I don't even find the Kentucky Derby that interesting I think it's cool that a bunch of people bet a lot of money on these animals to run around a track like that there seems to be a little bit of adrenaline share but I don't understand so the horse made contact with the other horse so you no, DQ'd don't, the don't horse so I have no clue. <laughs> Well, did you see what happened? Because I didn't even really get to see what happened. happened so, like, uh, so one horse made contact with the other horse, and like, like, did they do, do horses fight? Like, I don't understand. Like, why? Why does that matter? <laughs> the guy still won, like easily. Would he uh, have won if he hadn't made contact with other horse? <laughs> I think so. So, uh, I just didn't. I didn't even know you could get DQ'd for that. Like. Like something fishy's going on there. Did the horse apparently? Did anyone? Uh, yeah, no one. No one talked I bet to the that horse. Was pissed off. Yeah, no one talked to the horse afterward. I bet it was. I bet it was devastated. Fake news media was scared to talk. Uh, anyways, back on the NBA. Uh, you know, look, that was the fact that Denver went out and won yesterday was was crazy to me. Yeah, no, that that was gutsy, and that was kind of the larger point I was getting to. For all the people, because Richard's been dogging me, saying, like, you said the NBA playoffs are going to be awesome, and they haven't been. I was like, the first round always sucks, man. Like, now it's on. Like, the Rockets-Warriors were the one, ones that seemed dead because the Rockets went down 2-0, but they win 2-1, and if they win tonight, it's 2-2. Every single series. Oh, so the so you've got 2-2 in um, Raptors-Philly. And I was surprised uh, the Raptors won yesterday. That was a hell of a gutsy Wait, win on the road Boston there. Has Boston played game four yet? What? Has Boston played game four yet? No, that's tonight. So the other two okay. game fours that you're waiting on are tonight. And so my point, to your point, I can't believe Denver turned around after that four-overtime game that just drained them and won in Portland, Portland to save their season because that series is over if you're down 3-1. And I know even... Okay. With the with them with Jokic and Denver having two of the next three at home because they're the higher seed, that's still three one. It's probably over like at that point, and they saved their season after a four overtime catastrophe. And then so now you've got two two there. You've got two two in Celtics, 
or excuse me, Philly Raptors, which everyone for for and I I joined in on it too. I thought the Raptors were soft. I was like, this is the same old Raptors just with one good player. But Kawhi Leonard, oh my God! I, I caught pieces of that game during the game yesterday. Oh my God! Like everyone's wanting to call Durant the best player on earth, and he probably is. But Kevin Durant doesn't do what Kawhi does defensively. Like no, that no. team's different. They're not soft. Like I mean, having Kawhi Leonard helps. Like when you have five eleven Kyle Lowry who can't create his own shot. Yeah, then I'll hear arguments for soft. But like, you got Kawhi Leonard, you got a chance. Yeah, well, it's like somebody tweeted. Are we like really, really sure that Kevin Durant's the best player in the world? Like I think he is, but uh, best score. You know, I'll put it this way: he's the best scorer. But Kawhi Leonard and then Paul George after him are the best two-way players in the world. I don't think it's close. Yeah, I mean Kawhi Leonard is on another level right now. 39-14-5. Uh, That'll play. That will play. And pretty efficient, too. And they had to win that game. It's 3-1 and their season's over if they don't. Yeah, and now they're going back to Toronto, I think, with a leg up. Um, you know, these, these NBA playoffs have been fascinating, for sure. Yeah, because if, if now if now, if now now the Raptors have home quarterback, and if Philly loses that series, what do you do? There, you, you have four guys to choose from of who to pay, who not to pay. Like, I, I don't... I, who, who's not under contract after this year? Like, so there, there's. I, I don't have it in front of me, but it's like, it's it's a couple guys are unrestricted, a couple guys are restricted. But like, like eventually in the next year and a half, they're gonna have to pay Simmons, Embiid, Butler, or Harris, and like, Whew. I guess all four of those guys would qualify for a max. And then Jimmy Butler's almost thirty. He's had locker room issues pretty much everywhere he's gone. Like, what do you do with that? Yeah, I mean that that's kind of what's interesting going forward is. They blow this series, or they're up two to one at Game Three at home, or Game Four at home, and uh, you're getting close to having to blow that thing up. Yeah, and then Friday night, I guess, or maybe it was Thursday night. Uh, Giannis and Milwaukee won Game Three in Boston, and uh, I saw someone on ESPN call that the biggest game of Giannis's career. I didn't disagree. Like for them to prove that they've actually kind of arrived, they had to go in there and win a game like that, and they did. Now they got home court back, and like two fascinating Game Fours tonight. Because if Houston makes that. Houston wins that tonight, it's going to be a series as well. I mean, I, I, I still like Golden State just because I don't know if Houston's going to go in there and win a game, but, like, they got a fighting chance if they win tonight. Yeah, yeah, like you said, if they, they go in and win a game tonight, it's 2-2 and best of three. I mean, anything can happen in a best of three. So I'd like to get back to this horse thing. I don't understand it. <laughs> I, I, I don't I, – so did you bet on the Kentucky Derby? Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. And so something's fishy going on with this derby. Because think about all the all the things that play here. The favorite gets knocked out with like some kind of injury, right? Omaha Beach was his name. Yeah. Yep. Then Maximum Security was the next favorite's name. Sure, man. (laughs) And he gets DQ'd for making contact with another horse. I just I, I I don't get that. So, the fact I was pointing this out to someone yesterday afternoon, like after it happened or Saturday afternoon. So, did you know they couldn't touch each other? No, dude, don't No. Okay, that's my point. So, isn't that, like, wildly impressive that when they're making those turns on those horse races that they do it without touching each other because you're not allowed? Yeah, that is. Like, how in the hell does that happen? Like, how do, how do you do that? They're horses. That's what I'm saying. Think about it. Yeah, that is extremely impressive. Yeah, it's not like steering a car. You're steering an animal. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. Um but then they didn't even make a statement about it. So they were just like, yeah, this guy's DQ'd. Like, can you, like, like I, I'm just picturing the guy that had the maximum security ticket. And threw it away? Or no, the other, whatever the, well, yeah, that would be the guy that, uh. Yeah, the what? 
what that ended up winning and that didn't win at first like what do you do if you tear up what eventually was the winning ticket what do you do if you go to the window and like cash what you thought was a winning ticket now it's not what a mess i wonder if that happened like if people went and cashed because maximum security got disqualified right yes i believe he was the one that got I disqualified if people did go and cash those tickets like if if they announced they that like books paid it just because on TV maximum security won. So I, I saw a couple of people out like there are a couple of videos of people outside the window like thoroughly confused where when they announced it. So I think they waited. I don't, I don't. I would be surprised if any of them got like actual sports books where you have to go cash the ticket got cashed right. because there was immediately like called for replay review, replay review and horse racing. What a time! But like <laughs> online offshore stuff, I'm sure like people's money got taken in and out of their account. If I had if I I had to imagine because like. It probably cashed immediately, then uncashed. <laughs> oh God! Like you said, replaying horse racing. That yeah, is, so like, that's a different world. But now the internet's going to get on this hot take that replay is actually ruining sports, and I'm fascinated to see where we go with that. <laughs> but there does probably, in all seriousness, need to be some happy medium with replay. I mean, yeah. if you're if you're having replay and horse racing, and and stuff like that, like. Maybe. Yeah, let's let's take it easy. All we need is like a nice horse st- steroid scandal at the Preakness now to really spice this thing up. Horse racing be back. Oh God, Smarty, jo- Smarty Jones on roids. Yeah, Smarty Jones on roids. And then like like is that horse like banned for the move he pulled? Like is that a dirty move? I don't understand. I, I I need to read more about this. I should have read more about this before we recorded, but I'm deliriously tired. But I'm gonna read in more into this. I might bring it up on Wednesday show because what if like like is that like a hockey guy like like cheap shotting someone like is that horse now have a bad rep amongst other horses? Yeah, yeah, like, like what level of uh, you know is that uh, horse Ron Artest? Like is that the malice at the palace or is it just kind of a flagrant one elbow? I don't know. <laughs> do we do we know a horse racing guy? Um, no. But if I find a horse racing guy, I might bring him on Wednesday and just be like, can you explain horse what happened? Guy tweeted us. You can come on. Yeah, if anyone happens to listen to this and knows horse racing, I will gladly let you come on these airwaves. Probably a long shot, but but yeah, get in contact with me if you're a horse guy. Um, so we've gone completely off the rails. That's about all I've got. I didn't watch enough hockey. I'm going to watch some hockey this week. We'll talk about that later this week. Lots to get to with SEC baseball. Should be a fascinating week. Unless you got anything else, I'm, uh, I'm going to go sleep. Yeah, I usually go to bed. All right. Well, thank you for listening to this very rambling, erratic horse racing edition of the Rebel Report. And we will be back on Wednesday. For Colin Brister, I am Bride Scott Rippey. We will catch you later. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.